He's going about his business and all of a sudden, uh, one of his crop farmers rushes to see him. He looks exhausted, disheveled and extremely distressed. Master, master, master Job, he says. We were ploughing your fields and watching your donkeys and a militia of Sabaeans came and, and attacked. They've killed everyone. They took all of your donkeys and all of your oxen, every single one. And I'm the only person left. Well, before Job can even respond to him, Job's thinking, wow, this is a tragedy. This is terrible. And up staggers another of Job's servants from the opposite direction. This time a shepherd. He's shaking with terror, black with soot, and he smells like burning sulfur. The fire, he stammers. The fire, the fire. What fire, says Job? Where? It came down. What do you mean it came down? From the north? No, no, no. It came down from the sky, from the heavens. From the heavens? Yes, fire fell out of the sky. Everyone is dead. All the sheep, dead. It was horrible. People were running around. They couldn't put the fire out. All I could hear was screams and bleating and... And I'm the only one left. And before he can even finish telling Job his story, in bursts another of Job's servants, this time a merchant trader. Job is a savvy businessman and he sent his camel train with his merchants laden with goods to buy and sell and trade and make a profit. And they were good at their job. Job had taught them well. Sir, pants the man, sir... We were returning from our trip and the camels were loaded with spices and perfumes and, and gold and silver and raiders from the north. They swooped in on us and they've killed everyone. They took your camels and all of your goods and your money and they left. And I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's left. And then the hardest and saddest news of all a fourth servant appears, hobbling in, looking more worried than the last three had. The dust on his face is streaked with tears. He can't even speak at first, let alone look at his master's face. Falling on his knees, he bows and breaks the news. Have a look at verse 18. Oh, Job. Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your old, the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. The house collapsed on them and, and, and they are dead. I'm the only one who's escaped. And Job has just lost everything and almost everyone dear to him. But instead of cursing God, instead of flying into a rage, instead of accusing God of, how could you do this? Job does one of the most amazing things that I think a human could ever do. He falls to the ground and he worships God. He falls to the ground in the deepest grief that a human can know. 
and he falls at his feet and says, God, you are great. Then there was Paul and Silas. Here are Paul and Silas. They're on a mission. We've fast-forwarded a few thousand years. They're going about the mission that Jesus gave them and, and people don't like the fact they're talking about Jesus. And so they get humiliated, stripped naked, beaten, severely flogged, black and blue. They get thrown into solitary confinement and locked in the stocks. And I can't imagine uh, what a first century Philippian jail looked like. I don't imagine it was a nice environment. I don't imagine it was a particularly joyful place. I imagine it was a pretty harsh, unsanitary, miserable place to be. But unlike the other prisoners, the other prisoners who are no doubt feeling sorry for themselves and grumbling about their condition, these two Fruit Loops are singing all through the night. There is something really strange about Christians, isn't there? There really is. You just lost everything, your whole family, and you fall down and tell God, God, you're great. That's weird. You're stripped, beaten, flogged, humiliated, locked in solitary confinement, and you stay up all night singing to God about how great God is. That's weird. And you know, this isn't just a few isolated events. We could go on and on and on through the Bible, then, then beyond Bible times into modern day, still happening all around the world. We start with David, who's writing songs and poems about how great God is while running for his life and hiding in caves as his jealous, murderous father-in-law is trying to kill him. Jan Hus singing praises to God while the flames grew as he was burned at the stake. Horatio Spafford, one of, one of our youth on Friday night, mentioned this guy. He wrote the song, you might know, It Is Well With My Soul. Do you know he wrote that on a boat sailing near the area where the ship carrying his wife and four daughters sunk and only his wife survived? And he wrote these words, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Or Corrie ten Boone, thanking God for the fleas in her Nazi concentration camp because it meant the guards didn't come in and they got to have Bible study. Or Jeremy Camp, who wrote a song all about God's faithfulness when his wife had, of three months had just died of cancer. Disciples of Jesus overflow with praise to God in any and every circumstance. And how can that be? How could we praise God in the most horrific of circumstances? What's well, interesting, isn't it, as you look back in life, hindsight uh, changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, things that you thought were a big deal, things that kind of seemed to consume everything at the time, 
You know, you get a few years down the track, even a few weeks sometimes, a few days, you think, oh, that wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. Now, you see it, I see it with my kids all the time. Uh, some of the problems that they have uh, with each other, with us, with life, some of them, are, they, they seem so big to them. You know, chores and homework and music practice and rules. And yet, down the track as they grow up and they look back, I'm sure they'll laugh and see that these, these problems that were so massive were not all that big. Hopefully, whatever problems they have now will be swallowed up by the bigger picture of growing up in a family full of love. But when it comes to really, really serious pain, really serious hurts, really serious grief, in the real mess and ugliness and brokenness of life, it really is hard to imagine how we can stop and praise God. It's hard to imagine how anything could so eclipse those things that those things don't seem so big anymore. Now, as a pastor, I I do see a lot in people's lives just how messed up this world is. All too often, I, I sit with people in the hardest points of life. Death, dying, abuse, betrayal. Sickness, sadness, suffering, persecution, tragedy, even those who've been through war. And it's hard, isn't it, to fathom how in a world like this we could ever respond to the tragedies with praise. How do we respond to these tragedies with praise to God? Isn't it his fault that the world was like this? But I know for myself and for many others, it's actually in those deepest, most hurting, most painful times that we see most fully and most clearly just how great God is. See, it's in our deepest hurts that we have the deepest knowledge of how great he is. Because in the face of death, we see how great it is that God gives life and raises the dead. In the face of injustice, we see how great God is because he is perfectly just and holy and righteous and pure. In the face of betrayal, we see how great God is because he is perfectly faithful and truthful and honest and good. He always keeps his promises. For a disciple of Jesus the darkness and the horror and the brokenness of this world actually serves to highlight how great God is and how great it is that he's done something about it. How great it is that he's not finished. How great it is that we have his incredible promises and guarantee that he will fix this broken world. Now that's something to praise him for. But isn't that just wishful thinking? Isn't that just sort of empty 
desires and, and wishes and foolishness. Well, it would be. It would be. If it wasn't for something that happened in history. It would be foolishness to think that God is worth praising, that we can trust these things unless he'd given us a concrete reason to trust him. Unless he'd given us something that we can point to and we can say, there is how I know that God is good and that he will do what he has said he will. See, if it wasn't for the fact that the God of all history had entered into history, if it wasn't for the fact that the God of all creation entered into his creation and took on creation as a man himself, it wasn't for the fact that Jesus showed up and showed his power over sin and death and sickness and evil and corrupt authorities. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came and showed us the greatness of God in all his humility and compassion and love and gentleness and truth and power. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus himself knew and experienced the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the betrayal and the suffering and the grief and the injustice and even death. Well, if it wasn't for Jesus in history, dying and rising again, then the Christian hope, this kind of crazy Christian thing of praising God in the midst of the mess, that would be foolishness. It would be empty and stupid. But Jesus did come. He did love. He did perform miracles. He did make incredible promises that actually we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten, flogged, handed over to the Romans, killed, and on the third day raised again. And he did do exactly what he said and was seen by hundreds of people after his resurrection. Jesus did come. And so it's not foolish or crazy to praise God in the midst of the mess. Because now we see the mess and then we look to Jesus and we see the answer, the solution to the mess. We see that Jesus has given us his promises. He's given us his life. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his hope. And what he has done eclipses all that mess. That in the deepest hurt and the deepest suffering and the deepest brokenness, it doesn't make the pain disappear. It didn't make Job any less distraught and broken. It didn't change him from just wanting God to end his life so that he, the pain could be done with. It doesn't take away the tragedy or the hurt. But it does bring something so much bigger 
a solution, a promise, a promise of more, a promise of better. Have a listen to what Job said a little later. In Job chapter 19, verse 24, I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, this is incredible because Job is writing, uh, Job lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet, what Job knows here, he's, he's actually talking about Jesus and the hope we have because of what Jesus has done. Have a listen. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. See, Job's hope, the thing that eclipses the pain that he has, is that at the very end, Jesus, God the Son, will be victorious. He will stand on this earth and he won't stand for the mess any longer. I know that my Redeemer lives, he says, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. What an incredible thing to say. He has literally lost everything. Except four servants and a nagging wife. And he yearns for that day when after he has died and buried and rotten away, when in his flesh and his skin and with his very own eyes, he will see God, his saviour, his redeemer, his rescuer, standing on the earth, the solution to all the mess, the one who will come and restore and fix all the broken. And in the midst of his pain, he yearns for that day. And he knows that on that day, he won't be the only one who is risen. His children will be there too. All of God's people will be there with him. Now, doesn't that eclipse the pain and the suffering? Isn't that a good reason for Christians to praise God even in the midst and at the depths and the lowest points in our lives, our Redeemer lives. He died and was risen. In the end, he will stand on the earth. And after our skin has been destroyed, yet in this flesh with our very own eyes, we will see him standing, victorious, risen, conquering. That's worth praising. Now, this is why Christians sing. It's not the only praise we do, but it's why we sing. It's, it's the reason for our joy and our hope. But do you know, not all Christian songs that we sing are happy. Actually, as Christians, we actually need to sing a whole range of songs. 
Yes, we need to sing happy songs. We have joy in, in God, in Christ, in what he's done. But it's not like we're always walking around, you know, with a huge smile on our dial. We also sing sad songs. We praise God through the pain as well as the joy. And, you know, as God's people, at any one point in time, I can guarantee you that around this room, there'll be some of us who are feeling full of joy, some of us who are feeling tired and exhausted and just a bit kind of confused with life and a bit spaced out and what's it all about. There'll be some of us here who are going through just incredible pain and suffering and sadness. And yet there's something amazing that we can all come together and together declare that our God is great. Together declare the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's an amazing thing. Now as we come to the end, I just want to think there's there are actually two kinds of eclipses i don't know if you've noticed there's this you know there's kind of the uh, the eclipse where something's just so big everything else kind of becomes nothing in comparison but there's the eclipse where where something blocks something out and so you know the the moon you can have the moon up close and it can block out the sun which is so much bigger but because it's further away and, you know, even something as small as a little leaf can block out the sun if you hold it sort of in the right spot close enough to your face. And Job here, Job here, he says, God, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now I want to warn us that we are in danger. We're in danger of that second kind of eclipse where something small can actually block out something huge. And, you know, sometimes the suffering in our lives, I'm not saying that it's small. Suffering can be incredibly hard, and we know that. I think most of us have been through just incredibly hard suffering. And yet when we hold it up to Jesus... When we hold what God takes away and then we hold up what God gives to us, what God gives to us is of a hundred magnitude bigger than what he takes away. And yet what he takes away can block out what he gives when we focus on it and we don't look beyond it to Jesus himself. See, what God gives far outweighs what he takes away. Have a listen to Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. That's Jesus. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfilment, when he will bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ Jesus. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in accordance with the purpose of his will. So that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has made us holy. He has adopted us as his children. He has redeemed us, purchased us out of that ball and chain to sin and to judgment. He has forgiven us and he has given us his spirit to live in us, the guarantee of his promises to come. And did you notice there was a a, a phrase that came up three times in that little reading? that what God does for us results in more praise for his glory. Because on that day when finally all the evil, all the pain, all the hurt, all the brokenness is stripped away, when we stand there in our flesh with our own eyes, look at Jesus, our risen saviour. When we look at each other, suddenly holy and pure and righteous, we will look at our Saviour and we will praise him all the more. For our God is a great God. Yes, the Lord takes away. But how much more does he give? Blessed be the name of the Lord.